welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and in each episode you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. Then I'll send you away with three handy practical tips you can use at home. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read from our wide range of resources while you're on the go on the My Family Coach website. It's series three, episode 11, and today I'm joined by Debs Kemp, friend of the show. Debs is an assistant head teacher in the southeast, leading on professional development, coaching and well-being. She's also the regional lead for the Women Ed Movement Southwest region. And today Debs and I are talking about behaviour and school refusal. Enjoy the show. Hi Debs, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Very well, thank you. Friend of the show, Debs, I should say, as we are doing, I think, our second episode this series. We are talking about school refusal or anxiety around attending school. Uh, What book would you recommend to parents, carers listening on the topic? Well, I would actually say that there's a really good website, um, which is a piece of work, which is called School Anxiety and Refusal, a Guide by Young Minds. And I would say... If you Google that, there's a really good article, lots of tips and also lots of signposting for parents and uh, educators working with school refusers. And I would say that's got some really, really helpful information and very easily broken down. So that would be the one I would recommend. Oh, brilliant. What I'll make sure we do is that in the episode notes, I'll pop a little link in so it's really easily accessible. That sounds really interesting, actually, because I think it must be pretty frightening as a parent if you've got a child young person refusing to to come to school I suppose it's a good starting point to think about your own experience with the topic as a practitioner yeah I mean I think it I think it is frightening uh, or or perhaps frustrating might be mm. a better word it when you've got a young person from a parent's perspective or from a an educator's perspective who's just not complying with actually coming into the building or getting into the building. And I have had quite a bit of experience of students who, for whatever reason, for lots of varied reasons, just decide they can't make it into the building. Um, And it's really difficult. It's really frustrating. And it requires a huge amount of patience on the part of the parents and the teachers and staff who want to get them into the building because they know that's going to be the best place for them to be to, to move forward and make progress. Um, one particular example, um, I remember in, over the last sort of five, six years being a school leader, um, and before that, um, I would say would, was a, a young a young girl actually, and she was in year eight, and she just uh, every morning we would have a strategy of meeting her with her dad outside in the car park, and it would usually take about ten to fifteen minutes, sometimes twenty to get her into the school gates. Um, Most of the time we would succeed, um, but sometimes it would be a, no, it's just not gonna happen to get to today. And it was really difficult to watch. And, you know, she was very distressed and dad was very distressed and and it just took an inordinate amount of patience. And and it's hard for staff in schools when, you know, they know they've got to make their lesson or they've got to make the school assembly and they know they've got like, 15 minutes to get this child in and if they don't make it 15 minutes it's going to be a struggle so it's very hard to get the patients going and 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 of course it's really difficult for the parent who probably has to get to work and and is incredibly worried about their child 
Yeah, I think I know I sometimes talk to you about the different random things that I'm reading, but the, you've really sparked a memory of something I've been reading around emotional contagion, which sounds horrendous, doesn't it? But I think it's just a fancy way of saying mirroring emotions, I suppose. Mm. And when you told that example there, I was really thinking about the emotional contagion or mirroring of emotions that, that were going on, because perhaps the child is anxious and that's mirroring to dad and mm. then dad's anxiety is mirroring back and mm. then you've got the emotions of the, the practitioners that are yeah. you know, fraught with maybe worry I don't know there's just lots going on isn't there it's very very difficult and I think critically it's really important to keep stepping back from it and saying you know this is not a child just digging their heels in it for the sake of it um it's a child who is you know, in need in some way, shape or form, school just isn't working for them at that point. And, you know, it could be, you know, any number of factors. And it's really important to, to find opportunities outside of the moment where they have to be brought in in the morning, but opportunities beyond that to, to sit down and have those conversations. And I mean, some school refusers we've had to meet outside of the school grounds because the child is so viscerally re reacting to being in the school that they need to be met in a different space um, to kind of yeah. take the anxiety the high anxiety out and that that does help but it, it, it really is important to to sit down with a child and a parent and a member of staff who's working closely with that child to kind of try and unpick what it is exactly um, going going on and therefore then you can start thinking about what could be the interventions what could be the adaptations you know for I mean in schools what we quite often do is look at reduced timetables look at kind of key lessons maybe have a soft start where you have come in to a sort of hub area where you have a little bit of a chance to have a one-to-one -one and then you really it's about negotiation with the child to help break you know down some of the barriers and the hope is that then that would you know build up the time that that child will be able to attend um, and sometimes that works really well. Mm. You mentioned around the reasons why someone might refuse. What do you think the driver is around school refusal? I know I've got plenty of ideas in my experience that I'm chomping at the bit uh, to share, but I'm just interested in, in why you think so many children do refuse or are anxious about coming into school. Yeah, I mean, I think there's such a myriad of reasons. And I think you've always got to remember it is about every individual rather than, you know, a mass reason. However, mm. there are reasons that can be grouped. I think um, it's interesting to see that the, the and sad to see that the figures have risen quite uh, significantly, um, you know, since COVID. Um, and I think perhaps that's kind of a separate kind of group of students who, um, you know, we can talk about, but I think the reasons for in general for school refusing is probably significantly around anxiety, um, significantly around um, the perhaps about relationships and, you know, perhaps it's about resilience as well. Um, sometimes school refusal can be prompted by, you know, relationships falling down, bullying, for example. Mm. Um, and it's about, I've, you know, in terms of improving uh, attendance and, and trying to encourage these young people in it's about giving them a better toolkit a better you know strategies for resilience strategies for making friends and opportunities to kind of 
build that in the schools, I think. But yeah, I mean, the other thing that I think you and I have talked about before um, is about, you know, just making our our schools somewhere where students really want to come. Young people really want to come <laughs> and learn. And, you know, maybe we have to take a long, hard look at our curriculum and think, is it fit for purpose? You know, if 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 there's a significant number of students who don't want to come, do we need to look at ourselves as well and not just look at the young person? Yeah, th- I'm thinking, you know, parents, carers and, and their thoughts, perceptions maybe on curriculum. And it's, it's tough as a parent carer because you, you don't have control of the, the curriculum, do you? Obviously, that's set essentially by government and then schools interpret it and, and sort of change it. But I do think parents, carers should be able to sort of ask questions about the enjoyment of, of what's going on in school. Mm. Is my child able to access it? Yeah, yeah, access. I'm picking the right school. I like, you know, I know parents and carers really, um, you know, do do quite a bit of work on looking, but it, it's about perhaps thinking about what, what do I need to look for? And it, it isn't just about exam results that school you know, outcomes from schools. It's actually what is the ethos of the school my child is going to, you know, what is the variety of the curriculum or the extracurricular, the support for students who maybe feel a little bit more vulnerable or anxious. And, you know, maybe looking looking at does a does a school provide something a little bit extra in terms of the curriculum that might be the buy in for a particular student and young person. Um, yeah, so I think uh, that would be helpful. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about my niece, actually, just in relation to the idea of, of choosing a school and, you know, that transition period, year six to year seven, 11 year olds to going into a big high school, the huge differences, the huge changes. And I know that my niece, a few of my nieces, I've got loads, have, have really struggled mm-hmm. with that transition. And those are the nieces that do have more difficulties with anxiety and, you know, worry about lots of different things. And I do think that's that's a bit of a pinch point, isn't it? That transition. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm wondering what parents, carers can do to help that transition a little bit to maybe minimise some of the difficulties at that pinch point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just about um, having dialogue. I think I've spoken on um, the podcast before about communication. I mean, it's Mm. so fundamental, isn't it? And um, especially as you get, as your children get older, it is harder to sometimes have those conversations and, you know, their world becomes a little bit separated. Naturally, teenagers want to, as they grow into teenagers, they want to become a little bit more separate from their parents. But it's incredibly important to keep that dialogue going, keep that communication going so that you can, uh, you know, watch out for that kind of maybe diminishing engagement or rising anxiety or, you know, a little bit quieter or not not talking about school as much or those kind of indicators that actually, you know, something might need addressing or something might need to be talked about. I think as long as the communication lines are open, you're more likely to be able to um, have an influence um, and for for your you know children to kind of trust that what you're saying and what's going to be good for them is the right path. Um, I think it, yeah, it is communication is absolutely vital. 
I mean, really, if I wrote down the key words that crop up on lots of the podcast episodes, communication with our children would, would be the, the most common sort of phrase coming up and not to diminish that as a strategy that really outlines how important it is that those avenues of communication are open with our children and young people to help support them most. And it's not easy. I mean, communication is not easy. No. I think that's the other thing. You know, it's it's not as simple as just saying, oh, communicate more, because it might be that as a parent or carer, you're really, you know, you're hugely busy, you're working, you're coming home late, or you're doing shift work, or, you know, when do you get the time to sit down with your child and have conversations? And it's very easy for a, a week, two weeks, three weeks to go past, and you think, actually, I haven't had a proper conversation. So it's not easy, but it is essential. So it's finding a way to prioritise it, I guess. Yeah, bringing it to the to the forefront. We've had a few episodes around some strategies uh, to help. So we'll signpost in the notes around opening up those conversations. In fact, one that we recorded together, we talked about difficult mm. conversations, didn't we, and, and ways yeah. to help. The other thing I was thinking, and I really don't want to speak in binary terms or, or make it so gendered that it's unrecognisable, but there is something I know from some of the work I do, social emotional mental health, that I do know that girls are more likely to have anxiety disorders and display anxiety-based behaviours. So I do know that it's more likely that girls or young women are, are more likely to refuse school or be anxious about coming in. I just wondered your thoughts around those kind of statistics and your experience of that, I suppose. I think probably actually in my, especially, you know, my sort of probably, I would say in my experience being a leader in the Southeast um, over the last five, five years, um, I would say it is generally girls that I've been dealing with that mm. are school refusing. Um, I don't know whether I have any answers to that. Why not, Debs? Come on, you need yeah. to solve the gender <laughs> imbalance wish, difficulties that girls are facing. Come on, I think the we parents uh, are waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're continually trying to search for answers, aren't we? I think you know, maybe perhaps there is a gender issue here about um, kind of expecting expecting girls to just get on with it and do it, and you know, and and maybe losing a little bit of patience and. Um, perhaps the attention and the communication hasn't been on our young girls uh, in the past. Um, but yeah, it does seem to be that that is a, or maybe it's to do with, you know, the stereotypical kind of um, role that sometimes boys feel they have to play is that um, mm. they, uh, they can't admit to anxiety. It's kind of, it, it's one of those kind of, it's harder perhaps for boys to express that. And therefore, maybe, I mean, it's there for sure, um, but maybe they express it in different ways and maybe it comes out in, in bad behaviour, but they're still in school, whereas with uh, girls, perhaps, you know, but yeah, I'm not I mean, for sure, but that kind of feels like that might be the case. No, I think, I mean, we can only hypothesise without having you know, huge bits of research in front of us. And we're talking from experience, but I do, I have worked, I've, because I've worked in, quite a few settings where we'll have quite complex mental health needs and, and different things going on. I've worked with lots of children, young people that will school refuse and be quite anxious about coming in for various reasons. And I'm thinking of one lad in particular, I won't say uh, from what area or, or, or where he comes from, but he would, you're right, he could never admit that it was anxiety. It was about, I think it was 15 when I was working with him, but he would have stomach aches, not be able to eat. He'd describe all of these things to me because 
essentially he was worried about something coming up but yeah he did you know if I said oh this really sounds like anxiety you know really really yeah. think that's it he was like no no definitely like def- definitely not that just not hungry but it is there is something in that in the, the words that we give children young people be it in school be at home to be able to communicate how they're feeling Mm. and it's re-emphasizing you know the age-old point that we talk about quite a lot is that it's okay to be anxious and worried about coming into school it's okay to feel like that obviously there's work that we need to do around coping with it but it, Mm. it that's a starting point isn't it and that's a lot of the things that I had to do with that young man is to get him to sit with it and actually yeah. identify it and articulate and know, it yeah yeah, mm. yeah it, it was it was pretty tough um but yeah I mean that that really got me thinking about um that young man but one thing I know that did really help him was things around routines and kind of how we set up school for him and making sure that he had those patterns routines regular things going on you tell me a bit more about the role that routines and patterns might help at home or at school with with school refusal yeah I think I mean I think routines are really important I, I talked about COVID earlier and I think um, it's it's quite interesting the way COVID has kind of thrown up our kind of whole society pattern that we all go to school and that's what you do and it never stops and you know it can't be stopped and then suddenly COVID came along and students and everybody in society realized oh we can close down schools and we can stop exams Um, and that fundamental routine was really shaken and I Mm. think it did affect young people I I know the young people I work with currently you know they are very um, unsure about the kind of fundamental patterns that we work around in schools because they have changed not once but twice and Mm. even if you say you know no we're going to be going back to you know there's a doubt there which there never was before Um, and I think routines are really important for human beings really can they give us a structure and um, you know when you do have a, a difficult experience at school if if the expectation is that you go in every day you kind of go okay well that's my routine I go in I deal with it I I build the resilience hopefully I get support to do that um and when you think uh, when you get into a routine where you don't go into school that becomes the norm and then you're having to break a pattern uh, which has been established so that the, the critical thing is to try and spot that really early so that the pattern doesn't become staying at home it becomes coming into school and working through and dealing with and being supported Um, and I think parents and carers and and teachers can do a lot working in collaboration to kind of identify Mm -hmm. very early what patterns are being established you know is it a particular day when that student isn't coming in or your child isn't coming in Um, is it a particular you know, sort of time of the year or part of the term or and looking at perhaps finding what what those reasons are or is it completely random? Is it getting worse? You know, mm-hmm. really important from a, a practitioner's point of view that we we spend a lot of time looking at the, the data in terms of attendance, et cetera, to try and spot those patterns to prevent. But from a parent carer's point of view, that can be done too. Um, Mm. in dialogue with your child and like you know why is it always on a Monday or a Wednesday or um, 
And if you get those regular patterns, just like in the morning, you know, have a routine so that it's not chaotic where, you know, where there is a kind of set time you get up, set time you have breakfast, set time you leave for school, a set way, you know, do you shower in the morning or shower the night before or how, and just have that much more consistent. And then it, it kind of means you almost don't question because you know, oh, that's what I do. And before you know it, you, you haven't hardly opened your eyes and you're at the school gate and you're, you're in tutor time and that's it, the day begins. Yeah, sneak, sneaking them in really yeah, through, through patterns, routines and consistency. <laughs> I was just going to add that my mum was a really good detective because if I was ever absent from school, she'd almost like have a notebook of what day it was. And it was always when French was on because I didn't really no. like, like French so much. Um, but she spotted that pretty early and there's no way I would have um, yeah continued it. But I think really, really important points there to, to help parents carers and, and teachers but let, let's I mean I always go over time nattering to you Debs because I could honestly talk to you all night about this topic but let, let's finish off um, and stick to our 15-ish minutes and have three tips for parents and carers. Okay so I would say uh, the first thing first tip would be to listen to your child and look at um, the reasons kind of try and unpick the reasons uh, would be one um, and communicate as we said in this episode, communication, how vital it is, finding the time, um, prioritising that communication. Um, and the communication also links to communicating well with the school and ensuring the school is communicating well with you as a parent and carer and insisting on that communication. Um, and the final one, I would say, would just be about trust. Um, trust that if your child is a school refuser, um, there is a reason they're not doing it out of deliberate ill will in the main you know they are doing it because they are either anxious or worried or there's a particular reason so so have trust and have patience and you know there is a way of um, dealing with it and and coming to a, a positive resolution but it does take time sometimes Brilliant, Debs. Really, really sensible, practical advice there. And as we mentioned before, we'll put notes in the bottom for that really excellent resource for parents, carers to read afterwards. Thank you so much for your time, Debs. A pearls of wisdom as always, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much. Bye. You've been listening to the My Family Coach podcast. Thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behaviour. There's heaps more helpful advice for all your parenting needs on the My Family Coach website. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.